So glad to be here again uh, with you all this Saturday evening. And um, yes, just like Paula was saying, you know, in, in this space where we're all in right now, the narrative that starts to creep into our mind is, are we on our own? Is, uh, is God really who God says he is? And um, we believe that there's a resounding yes, that, there, that God is trustworthy his good father, that God um, is this way maker, miracle worker that Dana was just singing about. And it's fantastic. So yes. And like Paulo mentioned, um, we met through three to five club and through Tom and Sandy, which are just amazing people. And uh, what I, what I've started going to three to five club for was I've got a nonprofit called Torn Curtain Arts and Torn Curtain really helped strengthen the creative soul of Denver worship leaders. But right now, what that looks like is really helping churches find their way in this new landscape, uh, how to uh, equip worship leaders and how to keep their, their uh, communities worshiping and connected during this time of uncertainty. And um, so, yes, and I've been doing both Torn Curtain and then another company called Kavode, which does video production for churches. So helping churches set up live streaming, helping other events uh, move their live events to live streaming is, is what I'm doing. So it's a little bit like um, treading, not, yeah, not treading water, but I'm, I'm like trying to keep from drowning <laughs> because there, there's so much happening right now. Um, and I've been doing ministry for about 19 years now. And you met my friend, Brian, uh, who is worship led here at um, the Saturday Supper Club as well. Brian and I have known each other for, yeah, about the same amount of time that we've been in ministry. And then we joined forces two years ago to really shift the ministry of Torn Curtain um, towards serving the church and their worship leaders. And so super grateful that I can be here. Um, as we begin our time together, um, I'm just going to start by telling you the point. Okay, we're going to just start right off the, the topic by telling you my point. My point is that Jesus wants to take you forward, not back. Jesus wants to take you forward and not back. And he's really not concerned about keeping things normal. I know that's a shock. I know that might be a, a bit of bad news. And I'll be quite honest. Often the gospel is bad news before it is good news. Um, but see, going back, going back is really about satisfying our need for certainty. We knew where we came from. That was routine. That was normal for everybody. Going forward is about strengthening trust. Going forward is about faith. Going forward is the place we don't know. That's all the uncertainty. And so going forward in trust is really about God, where certainty is really about me. It's about making sure that I understand who I am as I am, as my history has told me. But God is calling us out into someplace new. And I think that um, what we truly desire is trust. We don't really want certainty. We think we want certainty, but I think we want this intimacy with God. I think we want something deeper and more substantial. See, I assume that we're all in different places here, okay? As, as far as the spectrum of faith goes, maybe from agnostic to full-on sold-out believer. And so this is something that I think you can uh, use regardless of where you are on that spectrum of faith. But you don't have to take my word for it. If you, I just believe that if you follow your curiosity and you start doing your own research, you're going to see that going forward better than going back. 
but we're just going to graze the surface here today. Um, I, I could talk forever about this idea since um, I think it's probably one of the most dominant themes throughout scripture. But for today, I'm really going to make my case around um, this one story that's written by this ancient Jewish writer named John, who was one of Jesus's personal friends. And so in his treatise on Jesus, he tells this story about how Jesus is betrayed and wrongfully sentenced and murdered and then returns to life. You know, it's, it's Easter, right? We just celebrated that a couple weeks ago. Um, or was it just last week? No, it was a couple weeks ago. Um, so we, we might all know this as the Easter story, but as John goes on through his story about what happens the following day, that's what I want to really focus in on. And spoiler alert, things do not go back to normal. Things do not go back to normal. Um, but before we go there, I want to talk a little bit about gardening. Um, this is the time of the year in Colorado, which gardening is a little bit frustrating for me because we have this fickle weather. We still may have snow, uh, it, sometimes all the way up to the border of June, right? And so figuring out when to plant something, uh, getting your hose up, we want flowers, we want to start growing our vegetables. Um, and it's very frustrating to do that in, in Colorado. There's this, always this bit of a tug of war where you feel like you're stuck in this liminal space, but you want to go forward, but you have to be stuck here. And um, when it comes to gardening, what I'm most excited about actually is compost. <laughs> we, have a compo we have a compost, uh, three compost bins uh, in our yard. So we've got our, our green compost, we've got our brown compost, and we've got a mix of compost. And the, the point of composting is that it breaks everything down, this, this, this dead and used up life, it breaks it all down to this thing called humus. And humus is like, it's this superfood for plants. It is, it is this thing that has broken down uh, to its basic level, so that it can't be decomposed any further, but anything in it grows like crazy. Um, that's a beautiful thing. And I think I love to get my hands in the humus. And if you've ever had really dark soil or topsoil or whatever, it smells sweet, but it's sticky. It gets all over your hands. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Um, now there's a couple of notable gardens throughout scripture. Uh, it seems like a lot of big things happen in gardens. I mean, obviously we know of the Garden, garden of Eden. Um, another garden in the Old Testament that's pretty prominent is a, is a garden called Shulamite's Garden, which is where the, the setting of the whole book of Song of Songs lays out. And of course we know of the Garden of Gethsemane, which is where Jesus is tested um, and betrayed. And then we have this garden that is the setting for the scene we're looking at today. And that's the Garden of Skull Hill or Golgotha, as it was known. Um, but gardens for the Jewish mind weren't just geographic places. They were symbolic of a place of rest, a place of fruitfulness, of shalom, this peace that is happening. That's what happens in gardens. Huge events happen in gardens, obviously. Um, and with all of the critical events that happen in gardens, what's interesting to me is you would think that God would want to maybe take us back to the garden, like find a way to undo all of this sin, all of this destruction and get us back to the Garden of Eden. But that's 
not God's plan. God is actually taking us to a city uh, in new, the New Jerusalem, what, it, what John writes about in Revelations 21. And that's really interesting to me that God's plan is to go from a garden to a city. So God doesn't intend to take us back. He only wants to take us forward. So after the resurrection, in this first encounter Jesus has with one of the disciples, Mary Magdalene, it happens in a garden. And I'm going to read this here, and you'll see it on the screen. John 20, 11, uh, 11 through 18. And this is what it says. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been and one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And they have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, have you carried him away? Tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Actually, it's, it's this really formal, like substantial word for teacher. It's really respectful word for teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. She told them that she had said these things to her and told them the things that he had said these things to her. So this is interesting. Why do you think Mary thought he was the gardener? Where There's a couple of ideas I want to share here. One is, like I mentioned before, gardeners are, gardens are symbolic. So it's no... Uh, John is making this case that is no accident that this new garden where Christ, the resurrected Christ, is seeing his first disciple. So that's really important. It sort of lays out the story that's like, listen, this is the new creation. This was how things started, but the old things have passed. The cross has created this doorway for brand new life. So now I'm going to create something new that happens in this garden, this symbolic place of shalom. So that's one of the reasons that somebody would hear that from. And the other thing I think is really interesting is that Mary sees him before recognizing him. Mary sees Jesus before recognizing Jesus. In, ver in verse 14, it says, at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She didn't realize, even though he was right there. She's overwhelmed with grief. And I don't know if you've had experiences like this. When you are in grief, you're disoriented. Often what you can see is just what's in front of your face. Just the next step. Because you're in triage emotionally. You're, you're breaking down to those things of like the basic function. So she's just seeing what's in front of her. And she has this conversation with Jesus and not even realizing. 
And I wonder if the reason she thought he was the gardener is, well, because he just got out of a grave. He's filthy. I bet his hands still have the soil of dead life clinging to him, moving that stone. I don't know how it was moved away, but I bet it was a messy business. It's safe to say he had all of that on him. And just like when I'm in the garden and I have all of that soil and humus all over my hands, that material, that dead life that makes things grow. And see, this is the thing is Jesus wanted to take Mary forward. And this is how he starts. He takes her out of her world of grief, out of her world of just one step in front of with her, with one word, her name just says her name it says here in verse 16, Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turns toward him and says, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus says, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Does this strike you as odd to anybody? Like this is the, this would seem very insensitive to anybody who was grieving, I think. Um, who all of a sudden she finally has uh, what what she's wanted this whole time. It's really interesting that even before that, Jesus asks her, why are you crying? It seems like he's almost forcing her to say all that she has lost, confronting the reality of the death she just experienced, like living with that. And then at the moment when she wants to embrace him and go back to that teacher and the comfort of who Jesus was to her, he says, don't. Things have changed, Mary. Things are new now. And it's interesting in which he reveals his identity by revealing her identity first. Saying her name makes the statement of deep knowing of who he is and who she is. Because names are really important in scripture. It seems like every time God does this thing, a significant uh, act in somebody's life, he changes their name, right? He changes uh, Jacob's name to Israel. He changes Abram's name to Abraham. You know, he changes, uh, those are just the, the, the Old Testament examples that have come to mind. But I mean, he, he changes Simon's name to Peter. He changes Saul's name to, Saul, to Paul, um, these sort of things. It, it's part of the reason why I changed my my, mar my married name is Roe McLevitt. My bachelor name, uh, the name I was born with is Paul uh, William Levitt. That's what my parents named me. And when I was married, my wife's maiden name is Romig. And we felt like God had been doing something important to our lives. So we both changed our names to Roe McLevitt because he had become, he, we had, he had made the two one. And there was no going back to normal after that. And I'll tell you what, it was uh, disruptive. It was disruptive to my family. It was disruptive to my life. I traveled a lot for work back then. And every time I was uh, at the security gate, the TSA, it was a challenge. And we're like, what, what's your name? Or when we were going to the ticket counter, remember when we had to go to a ticket counter to get tickets, um, that people would, couldn't find my name, you know, 
And so I lived with the cost of having my name changed. Um, but my name was important because that was this identity, this statement of identity. And so she wants to go back to experience what normal is, the Jesus I knew, the Mary I knew, and everything is going to be fine. And he says, no, things have changed. Don't hold on to me. Um, it's interesting that that rabbi actually even means, uh, so teacher, but uh, rabbi, which really only gets twice as I can see it in scripture, is this more a deeper respect of, of who she has found in Jesus. But even there, Jesus will not embrace that title, not embrace that name. He will say, no, the death of that teacher is real. Jesus is not the same. That's a really hard thing to deal with because we have, we, so often we, we think uh, in resurrection, it's just the return of something that was gone, um, that Jesus went back and everything went back to normal and he's alive again. And that is never the case with resurrection. There's all, it's a brand new birth. And so here's, here's the points that I want to make for you today. Um, as we figure out, like, what can we, what, what can we take from this story and apply to our life, especially in this time of incredible uncertainty and anxiety? In time where everybody is going is aching to get back to normal. If you have been to a grocery store, if you have driven your car, right, you want to go back to normal. If you have kids and they're uh, now their summer classes and camps and activities are being canceled, you know what I mean. You don't. You you're bummed out. This is going to be hard. We want to go back. So, but what I say the way. The, what we need to do is, is a few things. I'm not going to spoil it here, but here's the first thing. You have to let go. You have to let go of your old life. The point, the, the way of, of real maturity, I heard it said in this way, is becoming skilled at grief, becoming skilled at grief, and not being afraid of grief, because we are all grieving. And our world has got even more grieving to do. Do you realize there, there are people in Italy who are not being able to see their grandfathers, fathers, mothers, brothers, sons, because they are um, cremating the bodies. There, there are mass graves being dug in New York. There are ways in which we are interrupting the grieving process and that only creates more grief. And we are all going to experience that together because we are all part of a system with each other. So we're going to have to figure out what it means to move through denial and anger and everything and keep going forward. Um, and trust is the only way forward. If you see the contrast right now that's happening in our world with how people are managing this grief, there is the protests, the conspiracy theories, the shouting about getting a haircut, the, the fake cures. And then there's the doctors who are coming out of retirement to treat patients. And there's one particular doctor who came out of retirement, uh, got the coronavirus and died. 
uh, there's grocers who are working in 12 hour shifts. You know, there's a woman that I know who Sherry Welch who works with homeless people and the homeless population, people who are marginalized and being forgotten about. Um, and she's exposed, she just became exposed. She's quarantined, she's waiting for a test because of how she's working with. There's the guy I know, Tyler, who's working with the Brighton police who's putting his own safety on the line for people every day. Um, there's, there's people, uh, you know, with, um, and I don't want to minimize, I don't want to minimize the fact that this is hard and the fact that we're losing jobs and we're losing income and we don't know how we're going to eat. Um, and, um, and I know that that's difficult and the fact that there is higher rates of abuse right now, um, there, there are people who are meeting and who don't have their AA group to meet right now because there's no churches and there's no cafes to meet at and they're stuck at home alone. That is a serious thing, but it is not lost on God. And we want to run to certainties, but no knowledge is going to save you from fear or shame. No knowledge. There's nothing back there that's going to save you. There is only going to be this kind of before and after COVID way of life, right? That old way, even though we want to think it's, it's possible, we can't get back there and we should be sad and we can be angry and that is allowed, but we can never go back. So we can decide to stay stuck. We can do the Netflix escape. We can blame, you know, we can do the media self-righteousness game on either side. We can do it all but that's a way to stay stuck. And Jesus wants to take you forward. And here's my second point is resurrection is not just an event. It is a way of life. Resurrection is a way of life. You see, we are trusting a gardener, not a, not a general, not a boss, not a Caesar. And a gardener cultivates. A gardener is always working new life from dead material. And his hands are in the humus of our broken stories. His nothing is ever lost with Jesus. Nothing is ever lost. Um, we are trusting a gardener who knows what kind of species we are. Like we are the plants in that garden. And he knows how to work with us. He knows how to care for us. So resurrection is this thing that we have got to see that there's this season that we need to surrender to and submit to. So what is it? What is it that has to die in us right now? And what new life is being born? What new life is being born? So here's what I would say, suggest. If you can find in this next week, a personal ritual that helps you to say thank you and goodbye to your old life. We have to honor that life and say, thank you God for everything that you did to bring me to this point. Thank you. I know, and, I, and I'm grateful for it, but I, and it, and going forward doesn't mean I'm not grateful going forward doesn't mean, but holding on to that risks not going where Jesus wants to take us. And we're still living in it, right? We're still stuck. There's this word that's called a liminal space, right? A liminal space is, uh, it comes from the word Lyman and a Lyman is like the threshold of a door. And so being in a liminal space, is like being stuck in the doorway 
You're not back there and you're not yet in the new thing. That's where we are. And then a liminal space is where God always does his best work. God always does the best work in the liminal space. One of the things that we do to say thank you um, in our house is we do thankful notes. So we have sticky notes that we pass out at dinner, every dinner time. They go on the plates and everybody writes something that they were thankful about in the day. And, and then it all goes into a jar. And at the beginning of every year, what we do is we, um, we read those thankful notes. Sometimes it takes a good hour, two hours for us to go around the table, read everybody's thank you notes. But then we take them and we burn them. We burn them all because they're all gone. There are all those days that we were grateful for, but they are, they go, they don't exist anymore. So don't hold on, be present in the moment that you're in. Ask yourself, what is the new thing God is inviting me into? You can't be, you can't go forward without being present first. And I know it's hard to be present right now with our anxiety and our suffering. It's hard to stay in this moment. But maybe this is the season that God is inviting you to live into this moment. Maybe it's not an obstacle. Maybe in order to, like an obstacle that you've got to get through to get to the next part of your life. Maybe this is the life God wants you to live. Two years ago, I started running um, and, and not ever having been an athlete, actually. So, I mean, I just turned 40 and I was like, I'm going to start running and I'm going to make myself run a 5k. And when I was starting out, I was constantly assaulted with thoughts of being slow and looking fat and looking old and every step putting from putting on my shoes to running that next mile was a battle. And I didn't want to run. I, I wanted to just have finished a run, right? See, everything changed when I forgot about the finish line, when I forgot about finishing the run and just tried to be present with where I was. And I could feel this whisper in my soul that was saying, this moment is the reward. This moment, it was true. God had given me access to all of God through Christ Jesus. His resurrection life was in each inhale and exhale if I would just simply trust it. Running without God was hell, no question. Nothing but shame and insecurity and striving and desperation, but running with Jesus was heaven. It unlocked a door into my identity. I'm gonna leave you with one last story. Um, that really, you know, it's come to be almost a mantra when I'm when I'm running. And I think it it's really about how God is present for us in each moment and how res what resurrection looks like. It actually comes from the author, Viktor Frankl, who is a survivor of um, Auschwitz uh, and wrote a, a fantastic book in which he developed a, or he was developing a theory of, of uh, therapy called logotherapy. Um, in the camp, he was uh, conscripted to be a doctor of uh, the other Jewish people in that camp. Um, and so often they were um, so sick that he couldn't do anything for them. And so the story, uh, he tells this story uh, of a young woman whose death, this is what he writes, I'm sorry. This is the story of a young woman whose death I witnessed in a concentration camp. It is a simple story. There's little to tell, and it may sound as if I had invented it. 
But to me, it seems like a poem. This young woman knew that she would die in the next few days. But when I talked to her, she was cheerful in spite of this knowledge. I'm grateful that the fate has hit me so hard, she told me. In my former life, I was spoiled and did not take spiritual accomplishments seriously. Pointing through a window in the hut, she said, this tree is the only friend I have in my loneliness. Through that window, she could see just one branch of a chestnut tree, and on the branch were two blossoms. I often talk to this tree, she said. She said to me. I was startled. I didn't quite know how to take her words. Was she delirious? Did she have occasional hallucinations? Anxiously, I asked her if the tree replied. Yes, she said. What did it say to her? She answered, it said to me, I am here. I am here. I am life, eternal life. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we know that you are the source of life. We know that there is no use trying to find it elsewhere. And we certainly can't find it in our past. We know that your eternal gift to us is in this moment. And you invite us to experience all the gifts that you have for us. Through the gift of your death and resurrection, we can become new. And we actually live in the safest place on earth, in your care. Give us the trust. Be patient with us. Forgive us when we um, don't know what to do and our fears distract us. Help us to trust you more. In your name we pray. Amen.